This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In the spring of 1970, artist Ralph Steadman went to America in search of work. At the Kentucky Derby, he met Hunter S. Thompson, who had just spent a year living, writing, and writing about the Hells Angels. The rest is counterculture history. In his new book, The Joke's Over, Bruised Memories, Gonzo, Hunter S. Thompson, and Me, Stedman writes about his extraordinary collaboration that documented as never before the history of a remarkable time. Renowned for his often disturbing political caricatures in Thompson's work, Stedman won the Francis Williams Book Illustration Award for his drawings in Alice in Wonderland and illustrated the 50th anniversary edition of George Orwell's Animal Farm. Ralph Stedman, welcome to Weekly Signals. Oh, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? Well, it's a lousy day, actually. I've had some lads in the, in, just inside the door. They only asked the daft questions like, well, how do you get out of here? I said, well, what? Go out the front gate where you came in. Yeah. <laughs> and, and little vicious dogs with them chasing rabbits. Well, so that's I, I wish I could help. I, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Has, has global warming hit there yet? Uh, it's cold now. Yeah. Uh, you've had weird, well, in New York, there was weird weather, I believe, last week. Yeah. Again. Oh, were you there last week? No, uh, Will Self, my, my uh, uh, co, he occasionally write things together. Uh-huh. You know, I do the drawing. Right. Of course, I'm not supposed to write. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't write, Ralph. <laughs> so whenever it's a, you can't get out of the hideous trap of being an artist. Yeah, is that what it is? <laughs> it's a hideous trap. Yeah, Don't ever go in for anybody. Anyone listening? <laughs> Don't draw. They because draw. the moment you've done that, you're trapped. Because you're, you're, not, you're incapable of anything else. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is, is you that... can't write anything. You can't. <laughs> I don't know. You can't speak properly like me. You can't yeah. speak properly. <laughs> so, so it's, uh, your life is over once you're into drawing. You well, know. all right, then. We'll call you back later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was okay. nice talking to you. <laughs> uh, just, just kidding, of course, now. Now, oh, yeah. Did you did you did you feel that way at all when you were working with Hunter S. Thompson? That you always were, repressed. Yeah? That's yeah. the word. The way I felt <laughs> repressed. Did he make repressed and and uneasy? Yeah. Because his writing style was so it was so so f- f- frantic and yeah. and and unnecessary. <laughs> Couldn't just write gently and decently about yeah. things with some feeling. Yeah. He had to go into this de- desperate diatribe. Did you ever and feel? So he he just threw us all for for googly, you know. Yeah. If you know what a googly is, but that's what he did. And it it was um it was an extraordinary thing to meet mm-hmm. the guy, and uh, I I'd, I'd never met anyone like him. I don't think he'd met anyone quite like me who was rather naive and with a, this. Matted hair geek with string warts that sort of had a weird growth on the end of his chin, which he said they don't like things like that around these parts, Ralph. <laughs> they, get, they get nervous, you know. And you keep making doing that filthy habit of yours where you keep scribbling these weird drawings, of, <laughs> you know. That, so I, I was, I was a loser really, but but it was quite something to meet him. It was like getting a bullseye first time looking for work, you know. Was that is that was the, when you first met him? Did you have any idea what you were stepping into? No, no, no. no. I, I, look, I I thought his name was Howard Johnson when I first. <laughs> you know, that's what I thought I was meeting somebody called Howard Johnson. Is that, that is was, that true? Because he was staying at Howard Johnson? <laughs> no, I think because we were going to stay there, and I was yeah. told 
But I, I mixed it up with his name, Hunter Thompson and Howard yeah. Johnson. <laughs> Something that was kind of going down as a... It was, it was obviously going to be a weird trip. I, didn't, I, thought, I thought there would be things in Kentucky like uh, carousels and, uh, I don't know, nice old Disney-like characters wandering uh-huh. about. I had no idea it was going to be like Churchill Downs. What, now, you met him at the, at the Kentucky Derby. That was That's the first right, assignment yeah. you worked mm. did, did How long after meeting him did you have a sense that he was going to have this kind of an impact on your life? Was it in that trip? Uh, or? No, that's when you don't the least expect it, isn't it? Is when, is when, when you meet somebody that is quite sort of uh, cataclysmic in, your, in the way you do things. Because yeah. I went back to England two months later, a different person, you know. I mean, it was just so silly. I've, I was working for the Times newspaper in London, and I fell asleep on my board. I was completely washed out. Um, and I'd had an experience that was like none other, really. And I'd always complained about the English politics being too parochial. Uh-huh. And, and so I'd gone to America looking for something else and found your screaming lifestyle, yeah. which is what America is. And uh, I hadn't seen uh, political types like Richard Nixon before, because our lot are quite sort of, well, they're, they're evil in a more... Uh, respectable way, but, uh, <laughs> you know. and so I didn't. Um, I didn't expect any of that. And when I did come across it, it, it was to change me. I, I just decided my my drawing has to be to, to match it and to become something of a weapon. Did he impacted the way you illustrated that you right? I mean, he... I think he was damn surprised at the way I did do it, though. Uh-huh. You know that I I was there to to respond to his work. Um, that would be a proud thing to do, something that I, I felt my mother would be proud of, if it mm-hmm. like that, you know. Mm-hmm. She always thought I should do a proper job, do it right, you know, if you're going to do it, do it with all your heart, and which I did. So I was the innocent abroad, and then met this frightening guy, really. Nice person, very gentle at first. Oh, yes, all that was very nice. And then I, I fell in step with him and um, followed him, really, the way... A dog follows somebody, you know. And what did your mother think of all that? Well, she didn't. She never. She kept things. Actually, my uh-huh. mother, well, she's dead now. But that was some time ago, and um, she kept the scrapbook of a lot of the things, the escapades. But she had no idea what Gonzo was, uh-huh. and uh, it was just uh, something that um, uh, her son was doing, and uh, he, he seems to be doing very well. She was Welsh, you see. Mm-hmm. He seems to be doing very well, you know, <laughs> out there. Boyo, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I had no idea that I was getting into dangerous water, really. What, the did, drug taking and stuff and all that now, crap. Now, did, uh, did Hunter uh, entice you to take drugs? No, it didn't entice me. I was uh. curious. I, was, I had suffering from terrible seasickness. Uh. And uh, this is when we were on a boat, you know, and I hate boats. Unless I'm near the shore where I can just step out of a boat and walk ashore, I really don't like them. It's a kind of a prison, I think. Yeah, it was definitely that. So I had to take something. And I thought he was taking something. I thought he had a medical condition. So I I didn't like to ask to her. You know, then I said, what are they? He said, it was seasickness, you know. So fine. That's what I want. So I, I didn't do it. As far as I know, I took nothing but... He said I was up for 90 straight hours wow. somewhere. And, and, and if I had been, that would have been an <laughs> overdose, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know, but uh, I think that he was just saying that. That's one. Of, that's like how he would, could, not, in a truthful kind of way, exaggerate things, you know. Mm -hmm. We just seemed to gel. I mean, he was yes. so different to me, and I'm so different to him, and chalk and cheese probably go well together, you know. Yeah. Just one of those things, and we... Uh, we started something, he had no idea what was going to happen, that he was going to get Gonzo, because Gonzo sort of emerged out of that relationship, you know, that strange. Uh, his, he, his first story, the Kentucky Derby, was only uh, a bunch of notes that we threw together at the end, because he hadn't got, he said, you've, you've got all your drawings, Ralph. And, uh, <laughs> I've got nothing. I don't know, I can't, I can't believe it. It's the same with the, God damn, that's what you would have said, that you wouldn't have said they would have, uh, uh, you know, they, you, you've always got your, your story finished, and I haven't even started mine yet. Mm -hmm. So he, he, was, he, he hung out with uh, Don Goddard, who was the English editor, actually. He, was a, worked, he was, used to work for the New York Times. And he sat him down in a room and plied him with what he needed and, and then got him writing. And just, but he, most of it was the notes he'd taken. So he had been taking notes throughout the experience of the first time together. Yeah. Uh, we're speaking with Ralph Steadman. The book is The Joke's Over. How long after you started working with him did you feel like you were becoming friends? Well, pretty well. Well, he gave me the impression that we were horrible together, mm -hmm. horrible team. <laughs> you know, that, so I went back to England What's thinking that uh, something silly had happened, but I wasn't yeah. quite sure what, or something weird. And it was only when... He started writing to other people that he'd met me and that I saved him from what was an awful trip. Yeah. yeah. And that um, if it wasn't for Ralph, it would have been a hopeless situation. So he was saying nice things, you yeah. know. Yeah. And for a long time after, he did say nice things. And uh, the drawings were essential to the way he wrote. It was mm -hmm. a bit like the William Faulkner thing about journalism. The best kind of journalism is fiction, you know, and, uh, and the use of drawings was a kind of something done on the way, on the... With, on the journey, yeah. looking for something. And the journey was the doing of the drawings, the writing of the prose, as you were doing it, exactly that. Yeah, and yeah. it was such an urgent thing. And that's how it was done. It wasn't not some filing of copy later. So he just felt it was... I think he just jammed his copy in and that was it. And uh, the, drawings will, the drawings will explain everything, tell me. Tell <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so he fed off of your... Off of your drawings when he, he was sure writing, yeah, but, and and you fed off of his writing. I saw. absolutely yeah, yeah, did. So I mean, yeah. obviously, it was. I very, suppose that's what made it work. Yeah, because the other thing was when you did the Curse of Lono in 1980. Yeah. together, all the drawings had to be done before he could do the book. Oh, so oh. and he, he surrounded himself with all the drawings I remembered from our experience together, and the surfers and the yeah. the gods and the city of refuge and all those things were all um, greased to the mill, you know, and so. I did them all first, um, rather lamely, I thought, in a way, to, to, to do that, you know, but in another way, it seemed necessary. It was part of our collaboration. And if you, if you don't follow a collaboration in a way that you almost know instinctively, then you're just going to complain and it's going to be just a job. There's no good just having a job. That's not what, what artists or writers are supposed to be doing, or journalists for that matter. But unfortunately, it is a job, you know. Uh, to a lot of people, and that's why it'll remain that. And so Gonzo was some other thing, because when we were, I went out, I wasn't, I was always wondering whether I'd ever come back, you know, to England, the fine shores and the lovely green fields of Kent. 
I don't know yeah. really, but you, you know, it, it, yeah. you could, if you could understand that about about the Gonzo uh, experience, it was it wasn't a job. Uh-huh. You weren't doing it as a job. You were doing it. It was more of a cause, actually. And of course, Hunter's obsession with bringing down the Nixon government at the time uh, was all part of it. And the getting into the Democratic and the Republican conventions. We had to get in without accreditation. Yeah. So we were really not bona fide journalists one bit. We were more like, couple of, well, say it in this day and age, a couple of terrorists. We didn't know, literary terrorists, artistic <laughs> terrorists, you know. Yeah. And it was done like that, and it's the most important thing to bear in mind. It wasn't a, it wasn't a joke. It was something that got kind of serious, and I used to get butterflies in the stomach because I thought, any minute now, it's, you know, rifles and as what else dogs and hunter would often use those those terms to in which to drag me to the edge as it were. so we we had a it, it was a fierce time and when when he shot himself as he always said he would uh it was the old cliff edge thing again you know that suddenly something had fallen away and i thought christ is serious and i thought the only way i can get out of this is to write it yeah now you right. said he always he always said he would. When was the first time that that he said he was going to kill him? About well, as a drawing in 1979, I did of him, uh-huh. uh, yeah, with a gun to his head, and um, I was in the battle. I've got him pulling the trigger, and I'm coming out the end, going bang, uh-huh. and that was 1979. That was uh-huh. nine years after we met. So, did you have a feeling that at first he was kidding about it, or was he no, very serious? No, because he had a he had an arsenal of weapons back at home in a yeah. in a, in a uh, the safe, huge amount masses of arsenal of weaponry and and uh, and ammunition, you know. And he was forever shooting things out into the night. I often wonder where some of those bullets went, you know. The, yeah, you kind of wonder whether anybody because yeah. I also did some shooting with him in San Francisco, and I. Don't think he'd get away with it today. Now, where was the shooting in San Francisco? Oh, that was a out into the night. Ah, uh, shooting out in the night. We'll see what Ralph. So it's kind of <laughs> weird thing to do. And of course, I went along with that too. And I don't, I don't like guns. <laughs> so he changed. He, he almost was a sort of demon uh, uh, enticer, you know, in that respect. And I went with it, but I was scared by much of what was going on. And the business on a fishing boat out in the, off the coast of uh, Kona in Hawaii yeah. was uh, frightening for me. As I, you know, I, I think fear got me over a lot of the um, seasickness. What was it? Was was that drove Hunter Thompson? Was it his? Was it his uh, anger over? Was it his righteous indignation? Was it anger? What was it that motivated him? To, to write the way he did. I think I think he was an old-fashioned uh, yeah. frontiersman, you yeah. know, he was an, and also an old-fashioned southern gentleman. Yeah. And he lived by old values, you know. I mean, his constitution was most important. Your constitution. Yeah. But <laughs> his, uh, his more particularly, yeah. as it were, because he used to say it was his, and people were, were just walking all over it, yeah. fouling it, you know, making it a terrible mess. So that he had to do something about it. They can't be doing that. You know, it's something that, uh, it's a, it was a very old-fashioned old response. I mean, the fact that he never took up computers was quite interesting, yeah. you know. That he stayed with his uh, electric typewriter, which was a state-of-the-art at the time. What, yeah. 
Well, I think you can say, I can say from my own personal take on Hunter Thompson, that the pen was mightier than the sword. So much of what he said and he wrote during that time were the things that I felt about the Nixon administration and the way that things were going in the country. Yeah. So he, he was a very he, he, powerful catalyst for a lot of there, us. There were no mincing words. No. no. He went straight for it. And he said, you know, the idea of his idea of hell as being chained to Hubert Humphrey, <laughs> you know, in a Mexican jail for six months. You, know that? <laughs> you can say a thing like that, it's brilliant. He didn't. You know, his, he, his, his uh, talent for, for metaphor was brilliant, you know. Yeah. He could just bring out the right words at the right time. And things about uh, corks. We rose like corks, Ralph. You know, no, not corks, Ralph. Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> it had a lovely sound to it, you yeah. know, and he was voicing it. And I tell you something else that's kind of interesting about it, that it would be no good if my name was Trevor or something. Oh, yeah. because, you know, Trevor, we wouldn't, wouldn't work the same as Ralph. Ralph had a kind of bark to it, yeah. you know, Ralph. <laughs> it's kind of good. It's not like Ralph the dog or anything, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Ralph! <laughs> <laughs> I just like the idea yeah. of that, Ralph. We're Let's speaking with uh, Ralph you know. And then when we went to the Rumble in the Jungle, you know, in uh, oh my goodness. 1974, yeah. and he's, you know, at the, the end of the week, I said, he was away here and there, looking at this and that, wasn't anything to do with anything. So I left him to it. But there was, came the night of the fight, and I said, right, we're ready to go with this. I've given our ticket away, Ralph. What? Given our ticket? We had some ringside seats. <laughs> He gave the ticket away. He said, you think I came all this way to watch that? You know, uh -huh. I'm going for a swim, Ralph. And, and he took with him a huge bag of African grass He'd got, he bought for $40 when he first arrived. A lot of it had gone because people were knocking on the door and asking for some medicine. That's <laughs> medicine, man. Give us some medicine. So um, uh, he'd given a lot of it away, but there was a lot left. So he went down. I'd given him a bottle of Glenfiddich, a little whiskey, malt whiskey. And he took that, and I said, this is, a, this is the night for this. You know, he was going to go and enjoy it himself on the, by the, in the pool. But he took it down, an ice bucket, plenty of ice, plenty of ice, always that. And um, he also uh, threw, the, threw the grass into the pool. No one in the pool by this time. They're all waiting for the fight, you know. <laughs> he threw it into the pool, because I didn't see the bloody fight either. You know, that was a thing. And then... He dived into it, and then he watched it all go down the filter, which is a kind of a gonzo thing to do, you know. Yeah. Particularly when a fight was about to happen, and we'd gone all that way to see the damn thing. So, yeah. I, so that you, was, I it was a crazy business. Because he, when he came to visit and stayed here, I took him down the pub, and they, they, over here we have these little things called um, uh, optics, where they, they take the measure of, of drink out of the out of a bottle upside down, you know, that mm -hmm. never seen nothing. But anyway, it's called an optic, yep. and, and it's a measure, and it's a small gill. It's a very small amount of whiskey. So it's a, it's a Martin behind, uh, what's that, a sample? Mm -hmm. So, well, can you fill, get another glass? So get a bigger glass, taller glass, poured the whiskey in it, and he kept doing this with his finger, making his hand go upwards, up, 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 more, more, more. Yeah. Plenty, plenty of ice, plenty of ice, plenty of ice. <laughs> and, that. and then... He got that, and then Martin, had, the publican, had a word with me and said, I think if you're going to have him here for the rest of the week, you'll, I think you ought to buy, bring in your own whiskey, you know, because it'll cost you a fortune in this way, you know, because these little measures would cost yeah. a fortune. And then, then he didn't say you wouldn't have, wouldn't by any chance have a gun, would you? And he said, 
to uh, the publican and the <laughs> governor. Said, yeah, sure, I've got it. It's any single barrel. That's fine. I can borrow it. <laughs> and I, I saw him later. He said, my God, he's a nice man, that Martin. You know, I'd only been there half an hour. He lent me a gun and his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> We're speaking with Ralph Steadman, and the book is The Joke's Over. Now, did he change over the course of the period of time that you knew him? Was there any changes you knew? And did he get more well, cynical? Well, one or? of the things that happened, of course, he, he, I think he know, I noticed early on that he started to develop uh, arthritis in his fingers, you know. Uh, and I, I guess it affected the rest of his body, too, because he also had, later on, a couple of in, uh, opera, operations for um, hip replacement, you know. Uh, for, and, um, for hip replacement. Uh, yeah. Hip replacement, yes. you know. Uh-huh. And I think he had two of those because he did one thing very gonzo. I think it was affecting him, this spinal problem. He insisted on smoking in an oxygen tent. Now, that's uh, pure gonzo. Yeah. Doing that kind of thing. It's just going completely against the yeah. uh, accepted wisdom, really, of things. So... Um, uh, I think it was getting to him in such a way that he felt that the death of fun was nearly here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that once the death of fun came, he felt that one part of his brain wasn't connecting with the other and making making what he wrote connect. You know, there was something disparate about yeah. his thoughts. And it was really, really angering him, really, in a desperate kind of way. Yeah. And I think that was the beginning of it coming when he knew that he was going to have to do it because he was no longer in control. He couldn't bear the idea of of um, being in a wheelchair and, uh, and in an old people's home. I mean, can you imagine that? No, no. no. When was the last time you saw Hunter Thompson? Uh, October, yeah, October 2004. That was about three months before he did it. Yeah. And, uh, and my friend Joe Petro lived in Kentucky. He was, he was with me on that journey. And we did the last... Book. I, I got it um, organized to get it printed. The last small book about uh, called Fire in the Nuts, <laughs> and uh, it was a, a little story, small story, but interesting about a, um, his experiences in New York. It was an early book, but anyway, we got it done, and I had some drawings for it, and then I had to bribe him with money to uh, to sign it. There was only about two hundred seventy-five. In the, in the whole edition. And um, Joe said to me on the way back to our little cabin, you know, where my wife was waiting, um, said, I, think I've got a, I don't know, I've got this funny feeling we're never going to see him again. And I said, oh. come on, is that? that can't be so. Even though I'd known about this idea he thought about shooting himself. Because I said, no, I said, He's, we've still got to finish Polo Is My Life. Because Polo Is My Life was never finished. That yeah. was a book we were doing. It's half done. It was the first first uh, episode was rather long, but he didn't finish the second part. Mm-hmm. Or if he did, he started going off down a strange path towards uh, nuclear waste, which had nothing to do with polo <laughs> and horses, you know. <laughs> so I, I don't oh, know what I... he was doing, but that was that was an eerie feeling. And then when I did hear, it was Joe who told me over the phone, he said, take, the phone, take your phone off the hook, Hunter just shell himself. Wow. So uh, that, was, that was middle of the night. I said, mm-hmm. about bloody time to... He's been threatening to do it for years, but that's before I really realized it was real. You know? Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's just sad. But, so I feel I don't know. I'm gamefully employed in my own things. I'm, yeah. I was doing my own thing, and he would never accept that—that that I did book, a book about Sigmund Freud, or I did a book about uh, Leonardo da Vinci, or yeah. entirely different things. Not really Gonzo, but my own kind of thing, Gonzo. Yeah.
And uh, I picked a book on God, which I want to republish if I can, called The Big I Am. This is, uh, yeah, your writing, or, or is it? Yeah, my writing. And, Very uh, good. Because I did write, but he wouldn't have it. You, you can't write Ralph. I'm silly. <laughs> it's all gibberish, Ralph. Well, well keep writing. Keep writing. It's a, it's a great book. It's What's a wonderful that? book, and, and, I, and I just love your illustrations. I, yeah. I couldn't, when, when I picked copies of Rolling Stone up here yeah. in, in the States, I yeah. looked for your illustrations as much as I looked for his writing. Yeah. Oh, bless your heart. It's yeah. nice. Oh, it's true. <laughs> yeah. No, but perhaps he did. Look, it's a kind of a, if you can imagine him being in a perpetual state of, of joking and jibing people, yeah. people yeah. you know, yeah. poking fun at. Um, yeah. It was all there all the time. Everything was, a, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd say uh, to somebody, an editor in New York, he said, don't you dare touch that copy. He said, or I'll... I'll seek you out in New York. I'll come over there, <laughs> and I'll pull out your lungs with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely phrasing. Yeah. You know, no. Gorgeous stuff. Well, yeah. well, it has been an honor to have you on uh, Weekly Signals. Ralph Stedman, uh, the oh, book is you. The Joke's Over. Thank you for being here on Weekly Signals. Oh, thanks for having me. It's very, very enjoyable. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.